This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, fall day, November the 1st. All Saints Day. How was your Halloween? Did you have a good time? Lots of kids out your way, David? No. No, we had a few fewer our way this year as well, even though a lot more people, you know, decorating and doing all of that sort of thing. But uh, for some reason, people are still packing up the youngsters and taking them to other neighborhoods. It's kind of odd to me. (laughs) But anyway, uh, who am I to judge? Um, Well, it's no secret that the pandemic changed a lot of people's habits. And while some people working from home took the opportunity to get more active, for a lot more, the break from routine and cancellation of sporting and recreational activities had the opposite effect. Not to mention changes in eating habits when you're working in the living room and the fridge is right there. Uh, T.A. Loeffler has dedicated her life to active living as a professor of human kinetics and recreation at Memorial University. She spent years getting as many people living actively, regardless of their ability, as possible. Participation last month released its 2022 Children and Youth Report Card, and not surprisingly, it shows that physical activity in children has suffered in the wake of the pandemic. Well, T.A. Loeffler joins me now. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Great. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm so happy to have you with us. So, so what did this latest participation study find? Uh, just as you said, that um, some parts of physical activity increased a bit. People spent more time outdoors, uh, walking local trails. But overall, um, children's active living hasn't regained the level it had before the pandemic. Is that surprising to you at all? You know, as you said, it's um, habits are always a bit tricky to, to get on the go. And when you get them on the go, you get them a routine. They begin to, you know, be kind of self-fulfilling. And for many of us, for many children and for families, it's easier when that's an organized thing that you know that you're getting to skating class or you're getting to, to dance class. Um, And so those, of course, came off the agendas during the pandemic, and they've all now begun to restart at various levels. And now it's like remembering how to to get back into that organized pieces and or to continue to pursue some of those uh, less organized options like walking in our neighborhoods, using active transportation, getting kids outside for active play. Well, indeed, because um, I'm of a certain age that, uh, you know, our neighborhood was crawling with youngsters and, uh, you know, gosh, you, you had a job to keep you indoors. Now it seems like you got to push the youngsters outdoors. There's not as many youngsters around. Kids don't have as many siblings to fight with, so to speak. And um, even in neighborhoods, you don't see big congregations of youngsters like you used to one time. Is that making a difference? It is indeed, and it's interesting. I was preparing a presentation for the pediatrics uh, grand rounds uh, two weeks ago or so at MUN, and one of the things that was interesting, I was preparing some of the evidence about active childhoods, and one of the things that said if if children play outside with other children or with their siblings, they tend to be twice as active as when they're on their own. Because, you know, for so many of us, it's more fun to to kick a ball or throw a ball or explore the neighborhood, uh, you know, in a twosome or in, like you said, in a in a larger group and I know I often talk about having had the advantage of a free-range childhood 
so that uh, I didn't spend much time at all indoors. And then as things have changed and there's more attractions, you know, I know there was a lot of concern about my generation about how much television we're watching. And now we've got the dual concerns of both television and devices. So it does take some active intention to, you know, get out to organized sport and recreation. Uh, but we also need to get everything on board, I think, to switch this around. We need uh, to have active uh, um, breaks in schools, the importance of recess. And ideally, we continue to work at having safe infrastructure for bicycling and walking uh, all year round so that we can use active transportation, both for getting children to and from school as well as ourselves to and from work. And what you mentioned there about, you know, getting kids to uh, activities, because that's, we tend to organize our kids' lives in many ways, you know, like you, now you're going to hockey, now you're going to dance, all right, now we're going to go do some music and all of these things. We have all these little compartmentalized ways of keeping active and engaged. Uh, when I was a kid, it was pretty free form. Most of my playing, I can remember just running around and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And I think there's definitely, we, we don't want to overstructure our children's lives. They need space to breathe, just like adults do. And uh, indeed, if we've got our children's lives so structured, then it's harder for the adults to get their activities in place as well, unless we have designed um, some, some of our recreation facilities, like the new Paradise Double Ice Sheet was cool because they had a workout space above the arena. So a caregiver or parent or guardian, grandparent could be walking the treadmill while watching their youngster play hockey. And the research does tell us that active adults and active, you know, what I tend to call the, you know, the community that surrounds children, when, when children see others in their lives being active, they're much more likely to be active themselves. So active families beget active children. And I guess it's just the way life has changed, hasn't it? I mean, when you used to be a youngster, you know, dad would be out mowing the lawn. What's he doing now? I'm going to see what dad's doing. Or or uh, your grandfather would be um, chopping up wood or your nan would be out putting up the laundry. And you were always out around and seeing what they were at and probably trying to imitate them at the same time, fixing a car, uh, doing something with a bike, you know, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, there's and there's kind of, you know, there's intentional what I like to talk about is intentional physical activity where I'm, you know, I'm going to my intention is I'm going to go out and be physical activity. And then there's also what I call the incidental or bonus physical activity. And I definitely know when I'm here at home working, um, like you said, I have to make sure that I get up. I, I have a, a watch that reminds me at least one hour and I go and run up and down the stairs enough to get a stand credit. But if I was in my office in the building, it's a long, much longer walk to the bathroom. Um, I always ensure that I park as far away in the parking lot as I can, just kind of a, what I call the easy wins of physical activity. And then I have those structured pieces. I, I still love to play ice hockey. I still, you know, hiking, walking, my my my. Uh, wonderful Oma, which means grandmother in German, she was a walker. And, you know, when I when she got to be 94, I said, Oma, how did you live so long? And she said that she went for a walk every day. And so I take her advice and I go for a walk every day, <laughs> rain or shine, winter or summer. I figure out how to get myself out the door. Um, and sometimes we take my partner goes with and sometimes I'm on my own. Sometimes I'm with friends because, again, the research tells us that if we're meeting other folks, it kind of keeps us on track. So meeting a friend for a walk. I have meetings with my grad students. We go for a walk. We don't just sit in my office and chat. 
And these are all great uh, uh, points, and I want to ask you a little bit more about the, the way our lives are structured, and as life becomes more urbanized, if you will, how that changes uh, things as well. When we come back after the break, our guest today on On Target is Professor of Human Kinetics and Physical and Recreation at Memorial University, T.A. Loeffler. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target, T.A. Loeffler, Professor of Human Kinetics and Recreation at Memorial University. And if anybody knows physical activity and promoting physical activity, it is T.A. And uh, I was thinking as we were chatting earlier about how things have changed over the years, um, what kind of a role do municipalities and uh, businesses play in keeping people active? Because one time uh, when areas were developed, we developed neighborhoods. So there'd be a local bank, there'd be a local grocery store, and people could walk to these things instead of having to get into a car and drive across town to get there. Um, do municipalities have a role to play in all of that? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think, you know, when we look at physical uh, activity and, and healthy living, that we want to look at both individual and, you know, government municipalities schools and we all have a role each one of those levels has a role to play and you you've hit the nail on the head we used to be able to go to many of those businesses or things that we needed in our lives i always think of the in st john's the churchill square neighborhood that was designed as a you know a hub that was walkable and even included uh, some living so you could get to a grocery store you could get to the park across the street and you could you could walk there and, and feel safe walking there so I think as we move forward and, and we're developing new neighborhoods, ideally we're sorting out how can people use their cars less. Um, and, and municipalities have a role to play because I, I was reading a report yesterday um, and they basically they said we can't pave our way out of traffic. What we need to do is get people out of their cars. And when we're out of our cars, we're biking, we're uh, wheeling our wheelchairs, we're walking, and that gets us active as we're moving out. Interesting factoid is most car trips in urban areas are 5K or less. So how can we access things uh, like groceries, like physical activity right here in our neighborhoods? And I think that was some of the benefit of the pandemic is many of us actually explored what was in our neighborhood. What, what, what could I find in my local park? And I definitely, I live in downtown St. John's. I've seen a lot more people using Government House for its walking trails, using Batterman Park, using the Loop, um, getting out as a family to move in, a, in and amongst our neighborhood. Well, just prior to the COVID, of course, um, we had Snowmageddon. And uh, I always think back on Snowmageddon as so grounding and wonderful in many ways. Uh, and I know people suffered hardships. I'm not trying to take away from that. But uh, you saw people getting out and they were walking around. They had no choice. You couldn't drive a car down the streets of St. John. So people were getting out, walking around. People were talking to their neighbors and they were shoveling together and they were laughing together and they were sliding on roads and putting off fireworks and it was so community-based. Yeah, and I think that's um, a piece for me in, in looking back over my lifetime and seeing how community supported my development 
my fundamental movement skills. You know, I learned to kick and throw, and that was through the efforts of both my daily quality physical education, but also volunteer coaches who coached me in different sports. It was having the ability to go down the block and have a neighborhood center where there was a, a playground, there was a school field, there was a, an outdoor skating rink, all that was walkable and safe for me as a child to, to tra- traverse by myself and, and get out without needing to involve my, my parents in moving me in different locations. So when we think about community design, um, I often tell the story, I was meeting with Gary Milley the other day, um, who's the head of uh, recreation Newfoundland and Labrador, and we were, we were discussing healthy active living, and I said, uh, I went to a hockey tournament once in a place uh, in Calgary, and other than my teammates buying Calgary Flames things because I was an Edmonton Oilers fan, it was an amazing complex that had a junior high and a high school connected by Pedway to a two-pad hockey arena that also had the community library that had um, a PT clinic and had a swimming pool. And so you could go to this community hub and get your library books. Your kids could go to hockey. The schools could use those facilities. And I know there's been some movement towards that. Like the, I think about Clarenville and they've got the arena and some of the schools placed in proximity. That is another recommendation that came out of participation is for schools to look and see what facilities exist in their neighborhood to diversify the offerings in physical education. Because oftentimes physical education is where we first learn to move and hopefully where we first learn to love moving. And that's a key, isn't it? And it's it's not just youngsters we're talking about, of course. It's, it's staying physically active as you age and all the changes that come with that. I mean, uh, you could be fit as a fiddle and then you suffer from arthritis and that limits your motion. So how important it is, is it to stay physically active regardless of your ability, regardless of uh, your age? Well, I, I'm a firm believer, as you know and have said, that uh, physical activity moving uh, makes our lives better throughout the lifespan. And indeed, we have, we have different abilities uh, as we age and um, things come up and there are resources in our communities to support us if we're facing different kinds of, of chronic illness or um, uh, living with disabilities to access different kinds of uh, adaptive equipment. I know I met with a with a woman who was an avid, avid hiker, and she developed some um, arthritis in her feet, which meant she could no longer hike, but she still wanted to be outside. So she knew that we had something called a grit chair in the School of Human Kinetics and Recreation. She asked if she could come give it a try because it's a big investment. She didn't want to uh, invest without giving a side. So she came out, and I introduced her to this, to this uh, wheelchair that's three-wheeled and trail-capable, and you can use levers to propel it. And didn't hear much more. And then this summer, I was out riding my bike on the trailway in CBS, and I ran into her. She was out on the trail using the grit chair, and she said it was a lovely um, way for her to still enjoy being outside. She could still move and still get a workout. It just meant that she needed to shift. And um, one of the things that research has shown about uh, healthy aging is in some ways the more kind of ways that we develop to move and that we love moving through our lifespan, the more able we are to shift and, and change as we need to as we age. Is that a hard thing to get over, that, that shift, that, that ability to say to yourself, okay, all right, so I do have limitations. How can I move forward from here? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's always a period of, of grieving and, and, and grieving that loss, but it also can open up 
you know, new avenues of things that we never knew the joy of before. So I know many tennis players as they age now are switching over to pickleball. It's, it's the fastest growing uh, sport in the world. It uses a smaller court, uh, uses smaller and a different kind of a ball to slow down the play, but it, you can great, you can still have the same kind of movement that you did just you're playing it in a, in a modified version. And I think that's the joy of knowing that there's adaptations to ways to be healthy and active, whether that's shorter distance, less intense activity. I know for me as a hockey player, I know there will come a day when I might want to change who I play with or I change to um, public skating because I'm not ready to to have the consequences of playing a a semi-contact sport. Um, but I also know, for me anyway, that I, I love to hike and I love to paddle. I love to bike, and and I know that I've had great privilege in learning and developing a love for those things. And there was a sign in Twin Rinks the other day. It said, "It doesn't matter what you do, just find something you love and move." And so I think we also need to broadly define um, healthy, active living. It, it it can include many things well beyond organized recreation, organized sport. It can be gardening. It can be uh, nature appreciation. It can be outdoor photography. Anything that gets us sort of moving in whatever way we can move. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about that because you mentioned hockey. And uh, as uh, as you get older, injury becomes a little bit more of a concern or the possibility of injury. And recovering from injury becomes a little bit of a concern. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is T.A. Loeffler, Professor of Human Kinetics and Recreation at Memorial University. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're talking to T.A. Loeffler, who's dedicated her life to keeping people active, regardless of their ability. And uh, T.A., I was thinking about um, injury, and that becomes a greater, I mean, it's always a concern, of course, but it becomes a greater concern as you age, because it's one thing to be laid up with a broken limb in your teens. It's a whole other thing to be 45 or 60 and unable to work because of it. Uh, Does does that limit people when they're... uh, considering their options in being physically active? Do you find people as they get older saying, oh, I can't risk doing this thing that I love anymore because I'm really afraid I'm going to hurt myself? Definitely comes up in the locker rooms that I frequent uh, at times. And I know that I've altered my play on on the ice, that I probably won't charge the corners like I used to. I've got my head up more. And I'm making choices about the kind of risks that I take. And I think that's one of the things that pandemic has taught us all. You know, it's been my professional work to, to manage risks in the outdoors. And the pandemic taught us about how to think about risks in terms of what situations we placed ourselves in. And, and being physically active is no different. But um, there's also ways to mitigate risk, just as we've learned with with COVID. Uh, You know, we can limit being in large crowds. We can choose to wear a mask, those kinds of things. And when we're being physically active, we can bring in some assistive devices. So sometimes as we age, we might not feel quite as steady in our feet. So perhaps we can adopt using trekking poles and doing something called Nordic walking, where you're walking with your poles, which actually makes the walking um, even more active and gives you that little balance balance help. Uh, there's some interesting uh, rollerators, as they call them, from Finland that let you roll on a trail with with support and you can bring your little seat along with you. 
my friend Kim and I have been doing a lot of accessibility mapping on trails, and one of the things that we actually mapped uh, for the Trans-Canada Trail was the position of benches, you know, because some people might not be able to take on a whole trail but might be able to go 100 meters and then take a break and then walk that 100 meters back and that's a, a great way to um, be as active as they can. So I definitely hear the concern. I'm managing that risk myself uh, because we are slower to heal as we age and physical activity helps us sleep better, helps us rest better overall, and then we can heal better when we're well rested. So it's kind of like one of those chicken and egg things. Being more active helps us be healthier, which helps us be more active. And uh, it's a lot of the piece that doesn't get talked a lot about, too, is how physical activity becomes a community for us and the social outlet. So, again, in my case, hockey, there's people I see all during the hockey season and, and we have conversations in the locker room and then I don't see them during the summer. So I have to find that social engagement through another means. And it's true. It, it really is a community when you're getting out and around and playing on teams and a, and that camaraderie that comes with that. It's a, it's ever so important. And I've learned that as a as the parent of a of a child who is involved in sports. But um, you mentioned the grit share earlier, and I've seen it in motion. I've seen it in action. We've covered this story before with you, and have taken video and and pictures of this. And and I was thinking um, at that time how important something like that is. For people who just want to get out and around, what a difference it makes to be able to get on a trail uh, as opposed to being on a sidewalk or in a mall um, and and the, the benefits of nature. I've heard uh, um, Mike Wall call it uh, vitamin N. Um, so, I mean, what, uh, what, what difference has this grit chair made and, and what are people telling you about it? So, yeah, for folks for whom the grit chair is appropriate, uh, it, it does give them freedom to travel on certain kinds of trails. I know it's been adopted by the Botanical Garden. They've got one out at Lancer Meadows. They have one at Gross Morn. Um, some of the... Um, that is one device. There's also something called the Trail Rider and then the Hippocamp, which uh, the city has several of that families can sign out. And then in the wintertime, there's snow coaches and there's you can put skis on a Hippocamp. So there, there are multi-seasonal adaptive equipment that can make it possible for families, children, um, folks that are living with different disabilities and folks who are aging to enable them to get outside. Uh, I often like to tell the story of a, a colleague from uh, the university who had um, a change in her mobility status and when she got out of the rehab she really wanted to go to the cabin but used a you know a, a traditional walker with four points which of course wouldn't work in the snow and fortunately her her husband was an engineer so he figured out how to build her a walker on skis and she could get to the cabin that she'd um, always just was a special place in her heart and then word got round and I know he sent a, a ski walker up to an elder in, in Maine and so there is equipment out there uh, that can help folks get out. There are lending libraries of equipment that can help getting people out. And, you know, a major message of mine always is uh, get outside. It's so good for our mental health and for our physical health. The uh, research shows that when people are outside, they're actually being more physically active, but they perceive they're not as active. So it's not kind of this fun trick we can play on ourselves because uh, there's wind, there's gradient, there's uneven terrain. So anything that can help folks get outside, whether that's the new pump track in St. John's and Kitty Vitti, I know they have a pump track in Cornerbrook. 
Uh, I saw a, a pump track in um, Bay Roberts. So by having a, a variety of facilities outside, there's some workout stations outside. We provide opportunities for folks to find something they love and fall in love with to, uh, to be moving. Is technology uh, keeping up with uh, demand, so to speak? You mentioned the ski ski um, um, thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for want of a better word. I'm going with my hands now. You can't see me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, is technology keeping up with those types of needs? Somebody saying, you know, I want to do these things, but I, I can't because I'm limited by these, you know, environmental factors or whatever the case may be. I'm thinking in terms of prosthetics have come so far, especially when it comes to uh, higher caliber type of athletics. But uh, is the technology keeping up for ordinary folk? You know, I think there's definitely, you know, been a, a huge uh, variety of technology coming onto both the consumer and the, the medical market. Of course, sometimes those devices, if they come out of the medical side of things, can be quite expensive for, for individuals to um, acquire. So I think what we're seeing, of course, is some more trickle down of less expensive options. I know for me, I brought in something from Finland called a kick sled. And to give you listeners an idea if you imagine taking uh, a chair and attaching it to some runners and kind of like a dog sled but it enables you to ride it like a scooter uh, they're dread they're just amazingly fun we do all kinds of activities with them but I saw them also as a, a very low cost accessibility device and I remember when we first had them at that point they were grooming the trail around Long Pond and, and I couldn't get more than 50 feet uh, without needing to have a conversation with someone about the device and how fun it was and how it looked and and also then had families approach and say could it, could they try them and what was beautiful about a kick sled it was a $400 object instead of a several thousand dollar piece of, uh, of equipment and so I hope that we continue to see lower cost cost options that provide access to the outdoors, access to different kinds of sporting pieces, and to see the technology continue to grow and the market grow so that people can access the kinds of equipment they need to support their active living, no matter what their abilities are. And it's not just accommodating people, but you mentioned a really important word there, and that's fun. You said this this kick sled is fun, and and it's important to incorporate that into any of these types of technologies or devices. Yeah, I think if if we frame physical activity as sort of drudgery or as something we have to do, like I I have to fit in a gym session, I have to do this then it becomes another thing that we check off the list. But if we can change our relationship to movement and change our relationship to um, the benefits that come from it, like now for me, if I don't get outside uh, every day and don't get a walk-in, then I'm restless, I don't sleep as well, I don't feel as as mentally well. And so it's kind of like I'm, I, I want to make sure that I, I get some of that each day. And, and you had mentioned technology, and it's kind of funny. There's lots of different technology that can either interfere with that, like i.e. that the couch is so comfy and that device in my hand is so compelling that I just want to keep looking at it. But then there's also, of course, there's wearable text that teaches how far we've walked or you know I'm not embarrassed to to say I started playing a game on my mobile device called Pikmin they're just having the one-year anniversary and I wasn't going to play it and I said well check it out and it's basically a glorified uh, pedometer but I've walked five million steps playing the game in the last year 
and it got me out in lots of different conditions that it, that I wouldn't have. So it's finding that thing that will motivate us, whether it's it's uh, you know a, a formal organized thing or whether it's a piece of technology that we wear on our wrist or whether it's meeting up with a friend for a walk. Our guest today on On Target is T.A. Loeffler, Professor of Human Kinetics and Recreation at Memorial University. And a lot of people know you, uh, T.A., as an adventurer as well. And you've uh, you've climbed a few peaks in your time. Uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit about those adventures when we come back after the break, uh, right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Guest today is Dr. T.A. Loeffler, Professor of Human Kinetics and Recreation at Memorial University. And it, I have to say, it takes a special kind of person to climb mountains. What drew you to mountain climbing? Um, I think a kind of a midlife crisis and needing a, a big project to, to, to throw myself into after a, a relationship breakdown. And, and fortunately, uh, rather than heading in certain directions, I headed in the in the area of mountain climbing, which needed meant I needed to be very physically active and to train and and to spend a lot of focused time. Uh, working on those projects and and along with that came my wish to make it more than a mountain make it more than just me doing that and tried to involve the community and and it's been a, an amazing journey since then so uh, what have you accomplished in that vein how many peaks have you conquered um, well, the, it's fun when I speak in schools, the children often ask me that question and, and I, I, throughout my lifetime, I haven't counted, but I have counted some of the really important big ones. So I've stood on the highest point of six of the continents and I got four fifths up, uh, Mount Everest. Uh, so I often say that I've done six and four fifths of the seven summits, stood on the highest points of 20 different countries and hope to, uh, tick off a few more of those in the next while as, uh, travel kind of starts to pick up again after uh, um, as we're moving to this new phase of the pandemic how does uh, mountain climbing challenge you so for me mountain climbing is both a, a physical pursuit because it, it usually requires great amounts of endurance and and strength so it asks me to be the best physical um, physical me but it also asked me to be the best mental and spiritual me because when, especially when you're at high altitude, you have to get your breathing and your stepping in sequence so that you can find a way to keep going when the oxygen is half as much as you're used to. And in some ways that, that metaphor of the mountain of, of having that, that big goal that you're aiming for and then needing to take the footsteps and the actions to get yourself closer to that. And then on the other side, it teaches me humility and the ability to accept not getting to climb as high as I wished because it doesn't always come together. Sometimes the weather, sometimes my health or a teammate's health, conditions on the mountain can get in the way. So it's really taught me a lot about resilience and um, picking up and, and trying again. And our lives are a series of kind of like peaks and valleys. So the peaks are amazing and it's so fun to celebrate and, and see the view. But we also need to, to figure out how to exist in, in the valleys as well. Everest is, uh, of course, a pursuit for an awful lot of people on this planet. And uh, you've um, given that a try, but you've you've been forced back. Uh, tell us about that experience, what that what what that was like for you. Um, well, I've definitely been forced back uh 
more than once on Everest. And unfortunately for me, uh, it, it it hasn't come together. I haven't been able to stay healthy enough. Taken out the first time I was taken out by a um, respiratory infection that I just couldn't fight at high altitude. Uh, taken out by a bladder infection. Uh, so things can can really get in the way. And then other times, like climbing in Antarctica, it all just came beautifully together, and uh, the entire team made it to the highest point of Antarctica. And so it's definitely a, a hard go when you've put everything you could possibly put into being ready, and then something gets in the way. And uh, really, it teaches you it teaches me acceptance. Uh, you can do your best and you can still maybe not get to the top or some days it all comes together and you, you, you take the provincial flag uh, to the highest point on a continent and you get to share that pride with, with everybody around you. Are you still pursuing your dream uh, to ascend Everest? My current uh, goal is to get back to high altitude now that the pandemic is I'm more willing to travel. So I think we might be picking up on our trans-Himalayan route, uh, which takes us at where we've been making our way across the Himalayas in Nepal and see how my um, aging body is at high altitude. And if that goes well, then I'm going to attempt a, a different 8,000-meter peak. Uh, so I've had my eye on that. I was all all set to go that direction before the pandemic. So if things go well there. And if that goes well, then I'll set myself the the permission to, to make that decision if I'll give Everest another go. Because there's really a, a very narrow window. Is that correct? Um, you know, through the course of the year? Yes, there's two seasons. There's the fall season and the spring season. The vast majority of folks climb in the spring season. Fall season with climate change and things has gotten a little less predictable. So I'm guessing we'll see mostly spring expeditions. And you need to decide at least a year, if not a year and a half out, uh, to get the fundraising together, your physical fitness together, um, the equipment and things. So you kind of uh, have to do kind of a short-term plan and then a longer-term goal, much like making a big project of anything. There's sort of the ones you check off in the short run, and that's what I've done is sort of set some uh, check-in goals, and then um, we'll look at whether or not uh, climbing ever still makes sense given uh, where my physical, where as if I can get my physical activity and physical fitness back to where it needs to be. Was there anything that surprised you about the experience? I know Nepal uh, uh, it relies very heavily on the economic benefits from people who want to pursue um, climbing Everest. Was there anything that surprised you getting over there and being part of that experience? Well, it was definitely an honor to, to be walking in the footsteps of uh, some of my heroes, uh, Junko Tabai, the first woman to climb Everest, Sharon Wood, the first uh, Canadian woman. I climbed on Everest with uh, Al Hancock, originally from Stephen Hill, for, who was the first Newfoundland, Newfoundland Labradorian. How's that for putting those two words together? Um, and so... What surprised me is uh, when you come down from high altitude, how it's kind of like getting all your senses back. High altitude living is pretty tough. You have a limited color palette. The sky is blue and the, sky, and the snow is white and you're eating food that comes out of envelopes. And there's not much that you can smell on the air because it's so dry. And then you come back down to base camp and then get back down to where there's trees and you can smell the forest. And it's like you're kind of coming back to life. It, it, it's a really stark existence up high 
But um, it, then it's also a real beautiful experience coming back down. I think kind of like what astronauts have talked about, when they get back to Earth, they have this true appreciation from space. And so when I come back from a stark high mountain altitude, I just have such an appreciation for warmth and, and comfort and those kinds of things. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we, we, we are so focused on the ascent that we seldom talk about the descent, but it's, it must be really transformational. Well, what's interesting, people will say, what's harder, climbing up or climbing down? And, and they're both uh, challenging for different reasons. Obviously, climbing up is tough because it's so physical. But when you turn around and come back out, you see the whole view and you actually see what we call in climbing the exposure. Similar to when you're coming down a staircase, if you fall coming down, you're going to have a much worse fall than if you fall going on the way up. So more accidents actually happen on the way down, similar to on track accidents more traffic accidents happen in the late afternoon so you have to really stay focused pay really good attention make sure you're you know taking care of your physical needs making sure you're eating and drinking all the way back down and then there's you know the the celebration of make of getting home safe getting back down and just appreciating all that you learned and saw along the way we have uh, just under two minutes left. Um, uh, any final thoughts? Not everybody is going to uh, climb a mountain in their lifetime, but um, any final thoughts? So, yeah, you know, I often say it, my Everest won't be your Everest, and it's like finding whatever your Everest might be. And for some folks, um, an Everest is, is getting out the door in wintertime. Uh, it's getting around the block. So an Everest doesn't necessarily need to be the, literally the largest uh, mountain in the world. An Everest is something that would propel you forward. And sometimes we might need a lot of support to get to that mountain, to get near the mountain. And there are, is many community supports. And ideally, we hold our government also accountable for its role in helping us live healthy, active lives. And as we do that, um, everything gets a bit better. T.A. Loeffler, it's such a pleasure speaking with you this afternoon. Really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. And we'll be back tomorrow, but in a different kind of capacity. We've got a radiothon happening. Greg, tell us a little bit about it. Whoops. There you are. Hello. Got me now? <laughs> there you go. Kids <laughs> you Smart Radiothon tomorrow. Uh, of course, a uh, dollar is uh, what costs for a breakfast to serve the kids of this uh, province. Kids Smart Foundation uh, serves like 92% of the schools in the province. So we're going to raise some funds tomorrow for them. Uh, one to five from the Avalon Mall down in uh, Center Court there. So it's going to be a great day. Excellent. And uh, always a good time for sure. So stay tuned for that. And uh, give because the uh, benefits are uh, fantastic. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening.